You are now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we are expressing our own personal opinions. These views may not reflect the opinions of those whom we may be professionally affiliated. Welcome back for another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. My name is Scott. I'm joined this evening by the honorable Buzz Brockway. <laughs> we are Jasonless this evening, Buzz. Yes, he's uh, fled the uh, fled the the country. I think. I, he, I yeah, the FBI came knocking on people's <laughs> doors, and he's like, "I'm out." That's right. <laughs> I'm out of here. He is on a cruise ship, the Bimini. And other parts unknown. Yes. Uh, hopefully, he comes back rested and, and happy. Well, but we, uh, we can probably count listen, on one, I start one out right of two away. of those. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like that Venn diagram. You can have two, or, two, or three of these things. But you cannot have the third. Right. Uh, you could be cheap, fast, or good. Yeah, pick two. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll take a happy Jason over a rested Jason. That's just me, though. Um, bless you, Jason. Anyway, I got to start out right away by acknowledging some of our technical issues. This may be the last time we use Riverside FM. Um, Riverside FM has been our platform here for the last several months. It is a paid-for platform. And for whatever reason, our audio is out of sync, which is why sometimes you hear long pauses and silences in our yeah. recordings. It, it's totally because the platform does that to us without us knowing until the finished product is already published. And then it's like, oh, gosh, it sounded great <laughs> in post-production, yeah. but now it's completely out of sync. So for those of us, you guys who are funding us through Patreon, and we'll get that out of the way too, John Vestal, Brant Frost, Reed Powell, Sam Thomas, Benjamin Hurst, Ryan Graham and Hunter Burnett, thank you for your continued support. We're yes, going to thanks, investigate Dad. other platforms, and next week's episode will most likely be recorded on some other platform. So hopefully the sound quality improves. We continue to evaluate our options here and making sure that we put out a product that we can all be proud of. So thank you for your support. Patreon.com slash if you'd like to subscribe. It's completely voluntary. We're very grateful to John, Brandt, Reed, Sam, Benjamin, Ryan, and Hunter for their continued financial support yep. to help us make this possible. Uh, if you'd like to join up, there are tiers there. Go check it out. We'd appreciate it. Yes. Moving on to real business. Yes. Real business. And, and we have to, um, without tongue-in-cheek and, and in all seriousness, we lift Stacey Abrams up in prayer. She, yep. It was announced either yesterday or today that she morning, has COVID. Yeah. Um, this latest, this latest variant of COVID is not as serious as it was when it first came out. The hospitalizations are not there necessarily. The treatments have gotten way better. Hopefully she's made herself of, of, uh, aware and available to those treatments. I know when I had COVID, the treatment was within 48 hours was back on my feet. Yep. Hopefully she has the same experience. So we will be praying for Stacey Abrams health. Yep. I second that. Um, yeah. But that being said, she's made headlines in several other ways yes. that we have to talk about. Buzz. Yes. And uh, first is that uh, Stacy claims that she blocked the largest tax increase in history. But I seem to remember you and I being in the room when the largest tax increase in history passed. Yeah. And she, she voted for voted it. For it. And I voted against yes, it. Yes. She voted for it. Right. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, look, all these claims like this are made all the time in political campaigns that I did this and I did that. I don't I really I don't I've been scratching my head trying to figure out what bill she's talking about. And I just I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I seem to recall. Uh, I, when my maybe my first term. There was a piece of legislation. We were making some changes to the tax code, and the Democrats were able to obtain a separate um, economic assessment of it, a, 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 a second assessment of the bill that we couldn't get, that the Republicans couldn't get for some weird reason, uh, that showed some uh, some problems with the bill, that actually some folks, their taxes would have increased. 
that was very quickly fixed in the legislation. <laughs> uh, there was, it was never going to pass with such a, uh, such a uh, glitch in the calculations. Uh, perhaps that's what she's talking about. Uh, but it wasn't like she took to the floor and said, I block this, uh, you know, you shall not pass and dramatically pounded on the, on the well of the Senate of the house or anything. It was, uh, a glitch was discovered in the calculations uh, that would have caused taxes to go up on a small number of Georgians. It was fixed, and the bill moved forward. Maybe that's what she's talking about, because I remember they made a big deal about that at that time, that Republicans were secretly trying to raise taxes. Uh, maybe that's what she's talking about, but I really don't know. Because like, as you mentioned, Scott, she she was uh, not just voted for uh, HB 170, the transportation tax, uh, was a major proponent of it. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, the Democrats in the chamber in the, at the time <clears throat> were needed in order to pass it because they did not have majority Republican support. Right. And so, uh, if you recall, you know this is you know, inside baseball behind the curtain. Let me pull it back and show you what, what actually happened. Our majority leader at the time was a guy named Larry O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And Larry came into a caucus meeting and he said, we're going to add these amendments that are going to make this revenue neutral. And it included all kinds of things like uh, a diesel tax uh, exemption for trucking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had uh, it lowered the the amount yep. of the excise tax to several pennies yep. to <laughs> offset the what would, would have been the tax increase. And Larry O'Neill and our majority whip presented these a series of amendments yes. that would have made it so it was not a tax increase. And we go out onto the floor and all four amendments fail mm-hmm. because the author of the bill had teamed up with the Democrats and, and a certain number of Republicans to pass the largest tax increase in recent memory yeah. in Georgia, you know, in recent Georgia history yeah. in the transportation gasoline fuel tax. So that would not have happened. If, if Stacey Abrams had not joined yes. with certain Republicans, not a majority of them, to make it happen. Yeah. She voted for the largest tax increase that Georgians currently are paying. Right. No, you're right. And uh, this strikes me as one of those very silly things that get tossed out on the campaign trail. And the moment you scratch a little bit beneath the surface, you find out it's a bunch of baloney. And I think we just scratched beneath the surface and found it to be baloney. Right. And and to that end, you know, Governor Kemp has suspended that tax. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, which she has called for for it to be suspended for a much longer period of time. He's said, you know, we're going to go month to month or, you know, and every couple of months we're going to we'll reevaluate. She has said you should do it through the election. She voted for that. tax, right. And now she's saying suspend it. And I don't know. Which that, is another irony of. Irony. Yeah. And I don't know that Kemp has the legal authority to suspend it any longer in longer increments than he currently is. Uh, I, I think he, he had he could, he's limited by right. the law on, on how long he can do that, which is why he's doing it the way he's doing it. Right. So, you know, lo and behold, you have a governor following yeah. the so law. She, so she needs it. to brush up on the law as well. The, she the, the, the Georgia governor is a very powerful position, one of the most powerful governors in the United States. But it's not all powerful. And so you can't just wave a magic wand <laughs> and do whatever you want. And maybe Miss Abrams needs to re- be reminded of that. Oh, Lord have mercy if she does become governor and she does think that that's her, that's how things yeah. work, right? As a former state legislator, she should know yes. better. Um, but she she continues to make headlines buzz. She does, she's not stopping there right, with the right. headline making this week. She says that we should spend the surplus yes. that our current economic policies that have been implemented by Governor Kemp have produced, yeah. that we should spend it. We shouldn't give it back to the taxpayers. There are things that we should do with it, yeah, uh, including spending on things that Governor Kemp has already spent. Right. Things like teacher raises, <laughs> which was a campaign promise that Brian Kemp kept, right. uh, raising uh, uh, police officer pay, which Governor Kemp has right. kept. <laughs> he, he was a promise that he made and kept, and and spending on those things. She also wants to expand Medicaid, but again, uh, the big thing about that is. Uh, 
it could potentially bankrupt the state, no matter how much money you spend on it. You know, the, the, in order for the Democrats' math to work on expansion of Medicaid, you have to rely on federal funds yes. to make up any offset. And you can't do that without printing money at mm-hmm. this point or borrowing, borrowing it, which is, also has an inflationary impact, as we have learned through painful yes. experience. So what are what are some of the other things that she's thinking about? I mean, like, where's she coming from? Buzz? Yeah, I mean, she's got a, you know, she touts it on her website. She's got this big, long list, and it's a conservative budget. She, it's, you know, Brian Kemp's budget is is terrible budget. Hers is a conservative budget. And so she, she's got this big, long list of things that she wants to do, investments in, investments in the people of Georgia. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just more – I'm looking for the article right, right quick, but it's just more campaign rhetoric, right? I mean, it's just um, – I mean, I, 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 she, the big thing is that she's the, the proposals that she's making are all Kemp's proposals. Yeah, she's just them, adding zeros yeah. to the number of dollars. And they're, right. And she calls them investments. Of course, it does not. It's not. Uh, she, she doesn't come out and say, I'm going to spend the surplus. She's saying we're going to invest it, invest it in the people of Georgia. And uh, it's just more campaign rhetoric that, you know, numbers that don't add up. Call me old and, school, Buzz. <laughs> call me old school, but. I think I'm more capable of investing money to improve my own situation right. than she is to improve my situation. Uh, I don't need the government investing in me. Give me my money back. Yes. I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah. Okay. Here's the article. Um, yeah, let me see if let's see what we're missing here. Abrams calls for using budget surplus to invest in Georgians. So we, we, we basically have 7 billion in new funds right now. So yeah. Uh, expanding Medicaid is at the top of her list. Um, let's use those resources for what's right. And she's put together a path to greater economic tun- opportunity for all that's on her website. So, yeah, if, if you're going to look, if you're going to increase spending, there are a couple of places I think you could do it and it would it would pay dividends. Number one, more than a cost of living adjustment for state employees, mm-hmm. which they just got their first one this year in ages. Yes. Um, it, you know, employee the employer employee marketplace does not favor the employer at this point, and that includes the state for state jobs. And our government can be served well by having people remain in those jobs and treat it as a career, not just as their stepping stone to something yeah. else. And compensation is a big part of the equation yeah. there. So I would be okay with raising the pay of of the average Georgian state employee, but especially in areas like the Department of Community Supervision, mm-hmm. which is where houses defects. Yep. And you know our our defects agents are extraordinarily under underpaid yes. and overworked. So if you wanted to invest in new agents there, also increase their pay, give them additional tools so they can manage. I would be all for yes. that. Um, but it would be on a case by case basis, not you know, for agency, you know, not this. Let's go a blanket, add zeros to the budget for every agency. That would be a bad, right. bad idea because there will come a time when austerity is, is needed. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you live through that. Yeah. And I, I don't know. And when I remember, economic, you know, Governor Deal was we, we found there was there's a tremendous turnover in defects. As you might imagine, it's a very stressful job. You're dealing with very stressful situations, and it takes a toll on people. Uh, but pay was a big problem there. Um, so uh, under Governor Deal, and Governor Kemp has continued this, we raised, we raised the pay. Governor Deal had a pretty ambitious plan to hire uh, hundreds of new defects caseworkers because the caseload was enormous that these folks were dealing with and took a lot of steps towards that in the early days while recovering from a recession. Right. And of course, Governor Kemp has continued those trends of uh, Mm. continuing to support that, that department and other departments of state government uh, with the exception of course of the pandemic. But now we've, you know, we had budget cuts then, but all those budget cuts are, are, are uh, backfilled as they, as they say in state government, all that's been backfilled and uh, the departments are, uh, uh, saw increases, including five thousand dollar pay raise for all state employees this, this year. So that's uh, that's tremendous. Right. 
Which, and it was needed. And, you know, and, and along switching topics a little bit uh, and moving along, uh, you know, Governor Kemp's economic policies, mm-hmm. you have the article there, uh, continue to show dividends, especially if you are somebody who believes in economic impact multiplier numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Um, I, so I'm not going to say it. I'll let you say the numbers. There, <laughs> well, I mean, what, what Kemp, the press release today from Governor Kemp, uh, Georgia shatters investment and jobs record in fiscal year 22, FY 22, 51,000 new jobs. And these, these are, you know, a lot of these are these companies that are moving into the state of Georgia and pledging. So this is, you know, th- th- right. it's begun, but it's going to be, it's going to, you know, take a couple of years for it's all fully realized. But $21.2 billion in investment, over 358 different uh, economic development uh, projects. So this is... Uh, this is tremendous news. It's setting records, and I think it shows, you know, obviously Kemp is making the case, and I think he's right, that his governance, Republican leadership under his leadership as governor through the, through the pandemic, through the dark days of the pandemic, uh, has allowed our job market to recover, at, you know, f- uh, very quickly, uh, faster than most, <clears throat> and uh, has made Georgia – uh, and, an incredibly attractive place for people to start new businesses and move their businesses to it, and that's what we're seeing. That's what those numbers reflect, right? Uh, these these people, new people, new businesses started, uh, people bringing their companies to this state and expanding their companies in this state. And big, you know, the big projects like uh, Rivian and uh, Hyundai uh, going to build a, a, a another production plant here. Those, of course, grab the headlines, but you know. There was one, he and I forget the name of the company, but just uh, he sent out the press release yesterday, going to create 250 jobs in Bryan County. That's huge for that community. So these these little projects right. that uh, may not grab the headlines, grab the headlines in those local communities because it means a lot when you're adding 20, 50, 75, 100 jobs in these communities. So hats off to Camp and the Republican yeah, and, legislature. And the, what was the number of the economic impact number? from that press release. 21.2 20, billion. So I, I suppose, right, so you know, for yeah, those projects, that's, that's pledged, you know, all right, we're going to build, let's say, take Rivian, for example, right? We're going to build, Rivian says we're going to spend $5 billion uh, to build this plant. So that's an estimate. That's their estimate of what, what it's going to cost. They've, uh, you know, pledged to spend that money. That's what they think it's going to cost to, build the facility that they want to build in the state of Georgia. Right. And so the the economic impact number is supposedly the benefit to the average citizen uh, for the investment on tax dollars. Mm-hmm. And so for those who are not up to speed on the economics of economic impact numbers, whenever you hear one of those, I personally take it with a grain mm-hmm. of salt, even though I'm a big Governor, Governor Kemp fan. I know it's data that has been given to him and his team, so they're going to repeat it. But economic impact numbers are largely um, unverifiable. And and the way that they do it is they take the total number of tax dollars that the state spends, and then they take a a number that they think will be a return on that investment, and they multiply it for every dollar. So, for example, in the film tax credit, they multiply every dollar spent in Georgia – by the taxpayer subsidizing movie production and multiply it by 2.3 and you get these huge, you know, $8 billion economic impact numbers, which, which is, you know, you, you, I once asked the question, how did you get the multiplier? And the answer was, well, we did a study in 1973 (laughs) and that was the return on investment. So, I mean, the Uh, the hasn't been updated and they can, Continue to use that same number, right? And there's, you know, uh, I know Scott. You, you've met him. I've met him. Uh, J.C. Bradbury, an ec- economist at Kennesaw State, uh, who's a skeptic, mm-hmm. most, most uh, particularly a skeptic of the film tax credit economic development numbers and sports and sports stadiums. Yes, yeah. Um, and he's right. I mean, it, yeah. it's so. I mean, you know, the economic even even Bradbury would agree. All right. If if there's you know if if I am paid a dollar in wages, uh, then I go and I spend that at the gro- I spend that at the grocery store. I use it to pay my bills. I take some of it and I invest. I put in the bank as an investment. There is an economic multiplier to that. Uh, 
uh, that dollar ends up impacting the economy more than one dollar in the sense that it's moved around. But yeah, it, it's it's very easy to inflate those numbers. And, you know, small changes, once you start multiplying it out, uh, has big impacts on, uh, on how far off your numbers are really, really are. So, but I think there's a difference between Rivian saying, we're going to spend $5 billion building this facility. And then other, you know, uh, if, if, yeah, that's, that's cold, hard cash, right? Because they're saying they're going to, that's what we think right. it's going to take to build this facility and hire the people we need to hire. Then the Economic Development Office takes that and multiplies it by whatever multiplier they're going to use and say, oh, that's an economic impact of 15, 20 billion in Georgia. 22 billion. We don't know. And then that's where yeah. you're right to be skeptical, Scott. We don't know. There is, a, there is an economic right. impact of more than 5 billion, uh, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> it's very. Well, I, I'll tell you what we do know. We do know that when people are employed, it's better for a community. Yes to have a, an employment center like a big manufacturing plant. We also know that manufacturing spurs all kinds of other ancillary mm -hmm. jobs in a community that are not necessarily directly attached to that. Yes. Everything from somebody who's a barber to a restaurant owner to the, the auto mechanics in that area benefit when additional people mm -hmm. are employed in an area. Uh, that is without question. Yeah. So that's sort of the multiplying effect. Uh, so we do know that jobs are important and they do have a benefit to a sure. community uh, yeah. like the folks I mean, just, that are going to be benefiting from the rich. Yeah, well, I mean, look down. You, you know, if you want an example of this, you look down at West Point where the Kia facility is. It's not just Kia there. There's yes. all the other companies. There's the, the guys who make glass. There's the people who make the, uh, the little knobs and all this. All of those, you know, the, a lot of those businesses come to be close by to reduce their transportation costs. And they just have to ship it across town to the, uh, to the plant. So it's put in the, in the car in the manufacturing. So, yeah. So there's all those jobs that come along with it too. People get hired for that. And, and that, and then of course, as you mentioned, Scott, then the barbers and the uh, grocery stores and the, all of the other stuff that people do in their daily lives. Yeah. I mean, a, a Kohl's uh, may open up a target, and a old Navy and a shopping yeah. center that may get built in that area because there are additional people to support exactly. that type of retail. So yeah, uh, all that to say that, you know, Kemp's economic policies seem to be working pretty well for Georgia yes. right now. Indeed. And that, I mean, and that's, I think that's why he's ahead in the but polls, right? I mean, that's why he's ahead in the polls has been consistently. Uh, that's why Abrams is running around promising the moon uh, because she has to, to try to catch up. <laughs> Right. Right. As she's trying to buy her votes. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, mine is not for sale. <laughs> uh, that being said, something that isn't working out for the Kemp administration right now is uh, just before I left office, uh, Governor Kemp had a very ambitious mm -hmm. waiver idea to get out of the ACA and create his own version of a, a marketplace exchange for health care that wouldn't rely on federal subsidies. Right. And would allow for uh, people to go ahead and shop for their insurance within the state boundaries of Georgia. That plan was approved by the Trump administration mm -hmm. under the guidelines of the ACA. Uh, the, the, there are four major components when a state wants to seek one of these waivers. Uh, one of them is that the same number of people or more are covered. Uh, that the costs to the people are equal or cheaper, and they and a couple of others. And along those lines, uh, the Kemp administration felt like their plan was going to mm -hmm. meet all four of those criteria. The Trump administration agreed yep. after a lot of negotiation back and forth, and they approved the program. Yep. The state of Georgia has since spent about $30 million implementing this program, and this week the Biden administration pulled yeah. the plug saying, nope, you must be, you must, must be dependent upon the federal government mm -hmm. for this program. You are not allowed to show that the states can do their own. Yeah. Th th this is a real shame. I, and it's, what do you think? it's really outrageous because um, we're the only state that's had their, uh, had their waiver pulled. There were several other states 
uh, not just, you know, in, in under the Trump administration who did different things than, uh, you know, fully expanding Medicaid, which Stacey Abrams and Democrats want us to do. And what people always overlook is there are studies out there, numerous studies that show that you just don't get good health care through Medicaid. And so I, I don't understand why there's this insistence that everybody has to be funneled through Medicaid in order to have that that's the only way that can be good health outcomes is preposterous. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's what they want to do with everybody under a, who earns un, under 138% of the federal poverty level, which is what Obamacare, that's the Obamacare uh, cutoff there. Uh, so it, it's really, it's unfortunate, it's unprecedented, uh, and uh, it's almost vindictive, quite frankly, to because they drugged this out for a long time. They announced this, we, after weeks that you know they they started this this threat of of holding this up and and withdrawing this approval within weeks of taking office and here we are two years into the guy's administration and he finally you know lowers the boom uh, I, I it's going to wind up in court and I think it should and I think uh, 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 Governor Kemp should fight this and I think because I think he has a strong case <laughs> yeah I, I I think I think the uh, a presidential administration approving it and us investing in mm-hmm. it as a state gives a lot of standing and a lot of valid validity to a lawsuit taking place. Yeah. But let's not pretend why they, the moment he came into office, he started saber rattling and, you know, he being president Biden telling the Kemp administration, we're probably going to pull this. Let's not pretend why he waited until oh, yeah. <laughs> two years later in August just a couple of months out in front of a, an election. Let's not pretend that this is not a purely political move on his part to bolster <laughs> Stacey Abrams and her campaign to unseat Governor Kemp. Yes. Uh, but that's exactly what yes. is happening here. It's totally politics. Yes. You know, the, the state had come up with an alternative plan. The federal government approved it according to what Congress had allowed yep. the president to do. The president approved it, the previous president. And we invested in bringing our own solution along comes joe biden he waits until the governor's up for re-election and pulls out one of his key yeah. policy wins in his first couple of years in office and pulls a rug out from under yeah. him in an effort to make stacy abrams but don't, don't and that is purely what but this don't is. forget scott they care for you more they they are the people that care <laughs> Well, they're playing politics with people's health care. Bullshit. They're playing politics with people's health care. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely are. They absolutely are, and it's it's ridiculous. And it, and to those of us who are in the political game, it's really transparent what's happening yeah. here. It's it's so obvious. Now, and the media is not picking up on it. They're simply saying, ah, well, you know, uh, they should have just expanded Medicaid. Well, and it's yeah. not – come on, they're, man. They're too busy fact-checking ads – uh, ads that are run against Warnock to it's Raphael Warnock to to take a look at these big issues like this. So, right, and they dive deep in the details and try to tell the people what's really happening. Yes. Uh, you know, and how beneficial that would have been for them had it been allowed to continue. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's only going to get worse between I, now I hate and this, November. <laughs> I hate to sound jaded. I hate this to to sound. Like uh, I'm down, um, but there's just so much news mm-hmm. lately that has got me a little down. Um, but college football kicks off in a couple yeah. of weeks. Maybe I'll get a little peppy. Um, you know, what are we like 20, 25 days uh, out from yeah, college football? 25 days. So I guess uh, UGA plays Oregon in two days. And I think that's like maybe, uh, maybe 23, 24 days. And then two days later, Georgia Tech starts. Right. They got, we got a big game against Clemson. In the uh, in Mercedes Benz Stadium, so it's great, great we'll weekend. Be, we'll be praying for the Yellow Jackets. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, with the with college football coming, I, I did a little looking around. I, I I wanted to know how many people you could fit in various SEC stadiums. You know, Vanderbilt has uh, the smallest stadium in the, in the SEC. You want to guess over under how many? How many people fit in a Vanderbilt football game I'd in a home game? I put it at uh, fifty-two thousand. Mm, much lower, forty thousand three hundred and fifty really? for Vandy, smallest stadium in the SEC. Yep, Kentucky comes in second place with a huge jump at sixty-one thousand. Right. 
and they're at 13th place. Uh, Mississippi State, 61,337. That's a lot of cowbells. Missouri, the Tigers, is a lot. That's a lot of cowbell, <laughs> an annoying cowbell too. Sixty-two thousand six hundred twenty-one at, at, at Mizzou, uh, Old Miss, Vaught Hemingway Stadium seats sixty-four thousand thirty-eight. Uh, Arkansas seventy-six thousand on the nose, and then coming in at eighth place is South Carolina's William Bryce Stadium at eighty thousand two hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Auburn's Jordan Hare Stadium. 87,451 at, at seventh place. That means, um, well, you want to you want to guess why I've mentioned these stadiums uh, from Auburn down to Vandy? It, do you want to do you want to take a guess? Does it have anything to do? Why with is that the, 87,451? Does it does it have anything to do with uh, the f- newly passed Inflation Reduction Act? Bingo. <laughs> As part of the Inflation Reduction Act, <laughs> which is the IRS Expansion Act, <laughs> or the Trump Schaefer Act, as Eric yes. Erickson called it. Um, we'll talk about that in a second since I mentioned it. It's not on the agenda, but I think it's worth mentioning. Um, Auburn's Jordan Hare Stadium seats 87,451, and you would not be able to fit the 88,000 new IRS agents <laughs> into that stadium for a football game. 600 of, all of them yeah, showed 600 up of them would have to game. stand outside. <laughs> and, and you know what? And, and join the rest of the drunk people in the parking lots because you're not allowed to drink in that stadium. Um, the, the first stadium is sixth place, Florida. It would be the first stadium that would be able to fit them over there at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium, a stadium I've been to regretfully. <laughs> 88,548, wow. right? You'd be able to fit them in a Georgia game um, because Georgia at Stanford Stadium, you know, between the hedges over there, 92,746 people can wow. fit in there. But if all 87,000 people showed up, it would still be more than if they were playing Kentucky at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, a, well, how do you feel about 87,000 new well, uh, IRS uh, agents? Buzz? Here's the problem, right? I mean, I think, the, the, all right, let's, let's take the, uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second. The, the complaint, a lot of people complain that it takes a long time to get a response from the IRS uh, it takes them a long time to process things. So maybe you can make the case that the, the agency is understaffed. But 87,000 people, and, and of course, this is not how the, it was sold. It was this, this is a key component of this bill, the, the so-called uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act, that is meant to offset the costs. So what, what these 87,000, 88,000 agents are supposedly going to do is go and extract all the money that the billionaires are stealing from the people of the United States of America by not paying their taxes, by cheating on their taxes. Uh, this just, it sounds preposterous to me. The, the idea that, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that that's all they're going to do, these 88,000 people are going to descend upon well, there's less than a thousand billionaires in the United States of America, so maybe they expand it out and include millionaires yeah, too. So. Uh, some of the figures I saw, let's say I think there's seven or eight million millionaires in the United States, so they're going to go harass those people too. Um, first of all, they're going to meet a wall of attorneys and accountants with all of those people because that's why those people pay. Uh, you know, they maximize every tax opportunity that they have. But I think you know. It, all of this misses what the the big huge problem here, and that is that Republicans and I know Scott, you 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 want to do this. I want to do this. We want tax code simplification. Uh, I remember back in the day, Dick Army, the old the old House Majority Leader, used, would hold up a postcard and say, "This is what I want the tax form to be. I want a flat tax with no deductions." You, you enter in, you multiply it by whatever the tax rate is, and you send in the check. And that's as complicated as it needs to be. The reason there's all these, all these things is because we have so, many, so much game playing within the tax code to favor this person and that person 
and now the IRS is going to come and try to hammer you. And I think I and they haven't talked right. about this, but I think the other thing they're going to do is remember last year they were talking about how they need we need to go after all these people on Venmo. Uh, I think that they're going to spend a lot of time harassing exactly. people on Venmo too, and those are little transactions. Yeah, which is those are not billionaires. Right. You know, the the seven hundred and fifty billionaires are definitely going to get a closer look, but so is the guy who is getting tips on yes. Venmo for grooming a dog yep. or a valet at a parking lot. Yep. It, they're the ones all, they're going to get. And all you people, all you this. people in the gig the, economy, they're coming to look at you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You got an Etsy shop. You're going to be prepared to be mm-hmm. audited. You know, you, you run a small online business. Yeah. Be prepared to be audited. Yeah. I mean, this is, and then this idea that if you have, if you don't lie on your taxes, uh, you have nothing to worry about. Bullshit. Yeah. It's like you have to you, you have to prove your innocence with them. Yep. You don't get to be innocent until proven guilty during an audit. They're there to find something, and they're incentivized to find something. But you said something interesting at the beginning of this. You, you said that you know an argument can be made that maybe they're understaffed. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're going to spend uh, eighty billion dollars to expand the IRS. Forty five billion is just enforcement. That's the eighty seven thousand new agents. <laughs> Or eighty-eight thousand new agents. Yeah. Right. Um. So that's not customer service. The customer service line item in in the budget there is four and a half billion dollars. <laughs> so when you as a taxpayer call them up to ask questions, you should get a better response because we're investing four and a half billion. But let's not pretend that these agents are going to be answering the phone to give you advice on how to properly file your taxes. That's not what they're right. doing. Enforcement is different than customer service. That's why the line yeah. item is different. And it's also why it's 10, bill, 10 uh, times yeah. the amount of money being spent uh, on on enforcement rather than customer service. They definitely have a customer service sure. issue, obviously. You know, you can call up at four different times in a month, talk to four different people, and get four different answers to the, the exact same yeah. question. Uh, which brings me to uh, a, a proposed piece of legislation. I actually pitched this to my congressman. I said, look, if if the IRS, if you call up the IRS and they give you the wrong information, you should not be liable for the mm-hmm. mistake. You should <laughs> you should be allowed to follow the advice that was given to you, either verbally written or whatever, by the person you called the IRS to ask advice right. from. If there's a mistake... And, the, and it's because the IRS told you as a taxpayer or a tax filer that you were to do something that ultimately was in conflict with the law. You should get a jail, get out of jail yeah. free card. And and I'm I, I if I was in Congress, I would have drafted that bill <laughs> yeah. yesterday and filed it today. Yeah. And, you know, Scott, you, you mentioned that. <laughs> as, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've never been audited, but I worked at a company, my, my dad's company. And there was a time when we, you know, we, we had what you have to do with payroll taxes is you deposit them biweekly. You go over to the back in those days. It's probably all electronic now. But in those days, you went over to the bank and you you had a coupon book and you wrote out, here's the taxes, here's the payroll taxes. And you deposit that and that goes to the IRS. The IRS misapplied uh, one of our payroll tax um, payments that we made. Uh, they sent us a letter a couple months later saying, you never paid this. You missed a, depo- a deposit. No, we didn't. Here's the proof right here. Um, and they said, nope, you miss. You need to pay it again. And, oh, here's all the interest and penalties uh, back to that date. Uh, we argued with them. We fought with them. We even called our congressman and got there. You know, every member of Congress has a has a, a person who's, uh, whose job it is is to fight the IRS on the half, behalf of their constituents. We fought them for six months, and finally they they never admitted they were wrong. And finally they said, "Hey, um, just pay the interest and penalties." And we, you know, so we had to make this choice. <laughs> Why? Why should we? We never we never made a mistake. Um, so we, you know, we had to fa- make the decision: do we keep fighting them and continuing to accrue interest and penalties, or we just go ahead and pay? And so we paid. Uh, but that's how they operate. And if you think they're any different when you right. w- when you're getting audited, and it's going to be this. Oh, you know, I, I've seen lots of uh, people on Twitter, and some of them are so-called tax experts who supposedly deal with the IRS every day. 
saying, oh, if you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. That's baloney, absolute baloney. And I think I think Democrats are going to rue the day that they that they put this that they tried to make this such a big centerpiece of their uh, of their plans here that we're just going to harass the heck out of people until they pay up. It, it it's 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 going to make people really pissed off. <laughs> Average folks. Yeah, yeah, and, and and let's not pretend we mentioned this before, but let's not pretend they're going after the billionaires yeah. here. They're not. I mean, you don't need eighty. 8,000 people to go after 750 no. people. Those 88,000 people need to find work somewhere else. And that means they're coming for the rest of us. It, it, it's just, it's, it's mind numbing to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, will we be in this position if Kelly Leffler and David Perdue had won the yeah. election? <laughs> and, and and the answer to that, I think, is very clearly no. And if uh, we would not be, and if David Schaefer had not palled around with Lynn Wood, <laughs> and Donald Trump and had Sydney not Powell. Uh, spent all his spent uh, eight weeks telling us that the election was rigged, <laughs> right? So uh, Eric Erickson wrote a piece this week, and I thought it was really well done, where he refers to the Inflation Reduction Act or the Build Back, Back Better. 2.0 Act as the Trump Schaefer Act. Now, listen, if you're a Trump fan and <laughs> he can do no wrong, uh, I get where you're coming from, right? We're going to talk about Mar-a-Lago and the FBI later in the yep. show. But that being said, if he hadn't been telling everybody the election was rigged and your vote didn't matter, if he hadn't empowered people like Sidney Powell to say <laughs> yeah. that the Kraken was coming um, and that Hugo Chavez and Venezuela and Votomatic <laughs> software had something to do with our yep. elections. And, and 219,000 Republicans would have returned to the polls that sat yep. out that runoff. David Perdue and Kelly Leffler would have been reelected and we would not have had the IRS Expansion Act yep. passed. Also, as Eric Erickson calls it, the Trump Schaefer yes. Act. This is why party leadership mm -hmm. is important. You know, we needed a party leader at that point in time that was going to rally the base and get them to return to the polls. And instead, they did everything they could to discourage voters from returning to the polls. And this is yeah. where we are as a country and ultimately as individuals who are going to be facing a, an agent with a black tie and a black suit and wingtip shoes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's where we are. And that's how we got here. And I think it's important to continually remind us ourselves that this is why we are where yeah. we are. Um, and, and so as we look forward to the next election, you know, doesn't matter what anybody tells you, you have to participate. You have to go. You have to cast yep. your ballot. If you don't, because you think the election was stolen, you're playing into the hands of the people who are on the left mm -hmm. who want to expand the government in these ways that are going to be very uncomfortable for the average yep. American. And some of those people who were, you know, the, 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 the Alabama cheerleader, for example, uh, were very, very, you know, very much touting uh, all of the stolen election stuff and uh, all of the, uh, you know, uh, Lynn Wood was the greatest American. Now they pretend that Lynn Woods is, you know, oh, they don't, they never heard of Lynn Wood. Uh, she was at that rally where right. Lynn Wood stayed at this. David Schaefer was at that rally too. And, uh, and Alpharetta, uh, after the, uh, before the runoff where Lynn Wood got up and said, nobody should vote until these machines are replaced, which was absolutely ridiculous. They were never going to replace the machines, uh, right. a, a few weeks before an election. We had a party yeah. leader. We had our party <laughs> yeah. leader, the head of the Republican party. Yeah. And, in Georgia, and now, and now participate in a rally where the guy said, don't yeah. vote. And now uh, the Alabama cheerleader is running around telling people not to vote for Brian Kemp. She'd rather have Stacey Abrams, which, of course, Donald Trump said so, too. Uh, but, you know, they all get swept under the rug. So don't make the same. We know, we know what happens when you listen to people like that. We're experiencing it now. So ignore them and support. You know, rally behind the Republicans. Don't have to like them all. You can hold your nose and vote for them. I'm going to hold my nose and vote for Herschel Walker. I don't think he's qualified, but I'm going to hold my nose and vote for him. But got to support him. 
another person who told us the election was stolen uh, has made headlines this week. Rudy Giuliani <laughs> has been told by Judge McBurney and the Fannie Willis fishing expedition that he is to be in Georgia on August 17th. And the Giuliani camp had said that he is too ill to travel. He cannot get on an airplane. Oh and so the, the judge told him, uh, well, you don't have to fly. I'll give you extra time to get here. You could be by a private coach or whatever. And I think everybody on Twitter was like, have you ever heard the song Midnight Train to Georgia, Rudy? Yeah. I'm on down. There's, We're waiting. There's for an it. Amtrak station there at Peachtree and 85. That's just, you know, a sh uh, and then catch an Uber yep. over to the Fulton County Courthouse. <laughs> No, it's Rudy Giuliani. Give him a sleeper <laughs> car, right? Give him the cabin to himself or whoever he wants to travel with. <laughs> Let him ride in complete and total comfort from New York all the way down to Atlanta. Yeah. And then put him in a yeah. limo and drive him over to – don't do Uber. <laughs> Just get in – we want to make sure you're comfortable, <laughs> Mr. Mayor. We want to make sure that you have every comfort – available to you and we're willing to give you a whole week and a couple yeah. days to get down here uh you have plenty of time <laughs> and he's like oh no i can't travel i'm too sick uh well there are other ways <laughs> of making sure you get down it doesn't have to be an airplane and and by the way you've been traveling for four hours heading up to connecticut from new york on a regular mm -hmm. basis which came up during the hearing so it's not like you can't travel yeah. at all you know, if you need to do it in four hour increments, you could you could do it in four hour increments. You could <laughs> uh, the judge even went so far as to say, stay, stop in D.C. and stay with your friends for a day or two. Rest up and then continue the journey. Oh, my. Yeah, that's going to uh, be this judge. Circus. This judge uh, strikes me as no yeah. nonsense. Right. I mean, it, it, he, he attacked Fannie Willis for her stupidity when she engaged in the lieutenant governor's race mm -hmm. and then tried to. Subpoena for Jones, he completely demolished her credibility. Yes. Um, and but he's like not putting up with any crap <laughs> no. from anybody. Rudy, I'm sorry you're sick. Get your butt <laughs> to Georgia. Yeah, that's well, that's what you want a judge to be, right? You want him to be no nonsense, apply. Everyone is equal before the law, <laughs> uh, including Rudy Giuliani. Yes. Uh, I, other switching topics without a segue is so, uh, were you ever endorsed by the Georgia chamber of commerce? Um, no, not endorsed I mean, they've, I mean, they've, they've become, they've hand, they're handing out more endorsements than they used to. It seems to me, <laughs> no, I was never endorsed, but they, they, they yeah. did, I guess the way they did it was there was a scorecard. They urged people to look at the scorecard and make their own uh, determination yeah. that way. I never got higher than a C on the Chamber's <laughs> scorecard. Well, and at one time they gave me a D minus, and they attributed things to me that I didn't do. <laughs> um, and and I, I called them for a meeting, and I had them I had their lobbyist and their director come meet me in my office <laughs> at the CLOB next to the Capitol. And I asked them, what, you know, what because they said I, I had spoken ill of them from the well, which I had never done. And I, I asked them, I said, why, why did you say that I, you know, things about the chamber? I never mentioned the chamber of commerce at all, mm -hmm. ever, while I was in the well of the house in my entire eight years. And they said, well, you said X, Y, Z. And I said, that wasn't me. That was Jason Spencer. <laughs> so they had confused me with state representative Jason Spencer, which, you know, we're, I'm a little taller. My voice was much deeper. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, we had other, I guess, I, fat old white guy um, at the time, maybe. Yeah, but it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, I, and I bring it up only because Burt Jones has done something that I never did in office, and Burt Jones has been endorsed by the Georgia Chamber of Commerce for lieutenant yeah. governor. That's that's interesting. You know, uh, the business community. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I, th I think you know. Go ahead. I think. Um, as I mentioned, I think they're endorsing more now than they used to. Um, they've endorsed Brian Kemp. And uh, I, I think, as I recall, they endorsed Nathan Deal. And I, maybe, I, maybe I'm misremembering here, but that was kind of a, that was a, a newer thing. They didn't do that very often, uh, get it, make these kind of endorsements. So, 
and now now here it is creeping down. Now they've they've endorsing in the lieutenant governor's race as well. So that's very interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think you know, I remember uh, one many years ago. I've I flew up to Washington for an event with GoPack, and uh, we got invited into this little room, and there was Haley Barber who had just won. Uh, the election to the governor as governor of Mississippi, first time he, when he first got elected and they were trying to make a big deal that, Oh, vice president Dick Cheney had endorsed you. Wasn't, wasn't that what made all the difference? And he, Haley Barber said, look, uh, endorsements are great for your friends. He said, I got endorsed and I, I forget the guy's name, but he named a, a Mississippi native NASCAR driver. He said, that man endorsed me in front of a stadium of 50,000 people. And no offense to the vice president, but that made a lot bigger difference than uh, the endorsement of the vice president. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that caused uh, an uproar there in the in the Washington press who was gathered there. But I, I think, you know, I don't know that these things change any votes. I don't know that they uh, – it's an interesting thing because – uh, it's an organization that is uh, is non you know nonpartisan, and they they try to pursue relationships with uh, with people on both sides of the aisle in order to try to get issues moved that they find important to them. Uh, so these things come with a risk because uh, you know I mean I think I think Bert Jones is is in you know probably going to win, but you don't know it's not a hundred percent. You know we think Brian Kemp's probably going to win, but it's not a hundred percent. And they've endorsed in that race, and you know, you got to go back and make amends when you when you're wrong, when you're wrong. But uh. <laughs> look, I've always I've been of the mind that all endorsements can only help you unless it's from an organization that's out of step with yeah. the values of the constituency that you represent. Yeah. Now, in my district, I never sought out any approval from the Chamber of Commerce because I ran as a small government Republican. Mm-hmm that wanted a level playing field for all players in the marketplace. The chamber does not always advocate for level playing fields. They, they advocate for policies that tilt the playing field in favor of their membership, which are the larger corporations in our state. Uh, for example, like the Delta tax fuel exemption, uh, which did not apply to other airlines. It was written in such a way that you had to buy so many gallons of gas at the only uh, of jet yeah. fuel for the planes before you could get the exemption at which meant that Delta was the only one that could, could um, get that exemption and therefore everybody else paid yeah. more. That's a policy that tilts the playing mm-hmm. field in favor of one company versus the rest of the players yeah. in the marketplace. The, you know, the, the passengers on continental American airlines, Southwest, you're out of luck. You're going to be paying more because Delta is it has the advantage in in Georgia now that that has since been rectified. It's supposed to be now yeah. all equal, and everybody has access. Now, as I to recall, it. I, I um, normally but got that being said, as I recall, I normally got like a B plus or A minus rating from them. There were always a couple of votes like along those lines that you mentioned, Scott. So that's one of the reasons I get called a rhino is because I yeah. got a my grade with the Chamber of Georgia Chamber of Commerce was too high for some people's liking. So. Yeah, mine was terrible always, <laughs> but I think I was representing the interests of the average person in my district. Uh, you know, and you were representing yours, right? So, and, and the guys down in Peachtree City, where a lot of Delta pilots live, yeah. they you know they had a different perspective on things. So they were representing yep. their district. I get it, right? The, the um, I I never got a great grade from them, um, and and every Republican at some point it's called Rhino, uh, but <laughs> I. I think for Burt Jones, you can't say that Burt's a rhino. No. He's certainly not a rhino. No. Uh, but it, it is interesting that the chamber would weigh in on his race. I think it, it tells a lot to the business – it's saying a lot to the business mm-hmm. community for them to take a a, a stand in yeah. that race to this level because it's telling the business community, yeah. hey, look, you know, we got a pretty good gig with these guys. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it going. If we don't – you know, things could be very bad. It, for it us. probably helps with fundraising, right? I mean, it, it, it helps, uh, you know, the, the, these, the business people around the state who maybe, uh, you know, I mean, Burt Jones was a Senator, right? So people in his district and his region of the state know him, he gets up into other parts of the state and they don't know him as well. And, 
to be able to come in for him to be able to come in and meet down, meet with a local business person in a, in a different part of the state and say, Hey, listen, I'm endorsed by the Georgia chamber. That helps, that helps open, open some doors and probably open some checkbooks for him to help raise money. Yeah. Uh, switching gears again with no segue. <laughs> uh, biggest noise, news story of the week, Buzz. Oh gosh. What was it? It, well, the, uh, it depends on where you sit. The the FBI raid, or maybe the FBI coming in to use the restroom at Mar-a-Lago and then staying for several hours and looking around in a bunch of other places. Uh, that's a, <laughs> that's a huge story. <laughs> is that the one you had on your mind, Scott? Yeah, because that's kind of been on my mind. Yeah, it is actually. I think I think it is the biggest news story of of the month. Yeah. If not the week, the, here's the so here's what we know, what I know, and maybe you know more, um, having read other stuff than me. The president of the United States left office, Donald Trump left office, and he had he was in possession of of documents that the uh, National Archives wanted, yeah. and he hasn't turned them over. So the DOJ got involved. They went to a judge. They said, uh, "We've been informed that the." The former president is in possession of these, and we think we know where they are uh, based upon an informant that had told on him. And the judge issued a search warrant, and the FBI executed that warrant this week, going to Mar-a-Lago while Trump was not there, cracking his safe open on the spot to look in the safe to see if they could find the documents. We don't know if they found anything. (laughs) Lord have mercy if they didn't find anything <laughs> because the Republican outrage from yeah. the grassroots upward uh, for elected officials is yeah. universal. Uh, not, not, not I have just seen very right? few they're, they're, Republicans. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are Democrats who were uh, Go ahead. scratching their heads and saying, hey, wait a minute. This is I mean, look, <laughs> there. This really is not that uncommon. When somebody leaves office, they take, they collect up documents and they go home. Uh, then the archivist comes and says, "Hey, we need some of those back." And they they're negotiating. You know, Trump, according to Trump, they are they had been in negotiations over what documents should be returned to the archivist and what should not. And look, I mean, we know that Donald Trump likes to play around the gray areas. It's, it wouldn't shock me if he took documents that he should not have and that ultimately belong back. Uh, but but to to come into a guy's house, to execute a search warrant to a guy's house, former president's house over a dispute about documents, I mean, that, that's, this seems like an unbelievable uh, overreach. Uh, and, and I think you know, you're even hearing lots of Democrats scratching their head and saying, you know, they're not defending Trump, obviously, but they're saying, why, why did this happen? And, you know, that the Justice Department, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, needs, we need some transparency and need some answers. Why was this done the manner in the manner in which it was done? That, that seems to be the very least. Then, of course, there's, uh, you know, th- this has absolutely enraged uh, Trump's most ardent supporters, as you might imagine. And I think it, it's, it's caused a lot of people to be, <laughs> to be a little afraid uh, because you know we were talking about the eighty-eight thousand new uh, IRS agents. You know, if if you if you start to think that your government is is not looking out for your best interest, but has other interests in mind, specifically political interest in this case, um, this is <laughs> this is not good. It's it's a bad look, and and the lack of transparency. Uh, I'm not trying to spread conspiracy theories, but what I'm what I'm the point I'm trying to make is. The lack of transparency coming out of the Department of Justice to explain why they took this pretty extraordinary step that's, that, that they've never taken this kind of step before with a former president. They've had all sorts of document disputes. I remember in the days after 9-11, Sidney Blumenthal, former aide to President Clinton, was accused of stealing documents in order to, to keep them out of the uh, prying eyes of the 9-11 Commission, which was invest, trying to investigate the uh, what circumstances led up to and he never went to jail they didn't they never raided his house so this this i don't know this seems oliver north yeah this seems extraordinary to me and i think the lack of transparency is causing 
uh, a lot of wild speculation to take place. And Mayor Garland needs to step up to the podium and explain why they took this, they, why they felt it necessary to take this step. I'm old enough to remember when Hillary Clinton had an email server she kept privately in mm-hmm. her home for the purposes of evading yeah. the uh, public scrutiny. And there were times when crowds would cheer at Trump, lock yeah. her up, lock her up, lock her up. And he would raise his fist and, you know, cheer, you know, egg him yeah. on. Right. When he became president, he said very clearly, eh, we're not going to we're not going to lock her up. We're going to let her go, you know, bygones, because he, I think he understood that yeah. politically, if he had gone after her, even though she had clearly broken the law, if he had gone after her, that the the political optics of that situation would make it look like he was weaponizing the government against one of his political yeah. enemies. And he was right. Yep. It would have. And this is what I mean, because this is look and, I, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for breaking the law right. either. Right. Hillary Clinton broke the law, but I get why the president Trump decided not to go after her because of the, yes. the optics. The optics here are just as bad. You know, if that's the only thing that you guys were going there for, did you not realize there would be an extraordinary amount of blowback, you know, that that you would be in empowering him? What do you think happens with Trump next, Buzz? What do you think he does? Where does he go? Well, I, I think it, uh, there's an immediate impact. Uh, at least according to his public statement, he was set to testify, which I, I suppose this is the reason he was not down in Mar-a-Lago. He's in New York City, uh, and he was set to testify today on a local investigation into some of his, his business practices there in New York City. He took the fifth, and he said he took the fifth because, I mean, this is playing right into if, – if you're the Democrats – if you're Joe Biden, you're thinking this was the dumbest thing that Mayor Garland could have ever done because it's played right into Trump's hand that uh, and it allows him to say I'm a victim, which is what he did today. He said I can't trust the government. We have prosecutors running around doing all sorts of things. They're after me at every turn, and I'm taking the I'm pleading the fifth. And he may have done that anyway, but he's sure now he's got a defense to say you see what they just they did. The FBI just raided my house last night over documents, and now. You know, I'm going to plead the fifth here. So and and I think, you know, it, it probably increases the likelihood that Trump runs for president, uh, maybe advances the timeline of when that announcement is. I hope he doesn't announce it before uh, the November election, because that would you know, who knows what impact that would have on the on the midterms. But I think it makes it pretty likely that he runs for president again, which is what Democrats claim they don't want to happen. But they're undertaking activities that make it make it more likely that he does. It's almost like they're goading yeah. him. Yeah, it's almost like they're goading him, right? Like we dare. Mostly, I mean, like, you know, maybe it would. Scott, you know me; I'm not a conspiracy nut, right? But that was the first thought that popped in my mind when I when I saw that. I said, "Okay, they're trying to goad the guy into announcing a run for president before the midterms to throw the whole freaking thing into chaos." <laughs> but the mistake, though, is in that theory, Buzz, is that they provided him with a narrative that makes him seem like a victim yeah. as opposed to some perpetrator yes. of a crime. And, and that's the danger yeah. in what they've done here is is they have they've they have made him a yeah. martyr in a way by having this done in the way it was executed. Now, if maybe he broke the law. Maybe yeah. he needs to be held accountable for it. And, I, and I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to no. excuse that, but no other president has ever had this happen. No other presidential candidate has ever never had rated Richard like Nixon. I mean, you look house. back as far as Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. You know, Ulysses S. Grant, one of the most corrupt presidents in American history, <laughs> didn't have anything yes. close like this right. happen to him. <laughs> and, and, and so. So we're in unprecedented yeah. times. The, and the, and again, you know, the Trump base is still very passionate, you know, and and, and all the headlines recently have not been in Trump's favor. You gave yeah. him a win now, this week, no, Democrats. No, that's, you gave him a win. Now, look, there, there has been some really stupid things said by Trump supporters. For example, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, was tweeting out, defund the FBI. Uh, <laughs> uh they fund the yes. police? Well, certain police in her mind, right? I but didn't know Marjorie Taylor Greene was, yes. was a 
I didn't realize Marjorie Taylor Greene was a member of the defund yeah, the police. She joined movement. it. She 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 marched across that aisle and joined, uh, joined with AOC to say it's time to defund the defund law enforcement. So that's stupid and that's ridiculous. Yeah. And some of the threats that have come from from people who should know better. Uh, and and this, I mean, this is a, a, a trend on the right that that concerns me, among, especially among the MAGA right, that we're going to use uh, the, that the government is being weaponized against us. Therefore, when we get power, we're going to weaponize the government against our enemies, and that is that is not conservative, and that is not the rule of law, and that is not in keeping with American principles, and it shouldn't happen. And and the right needs to knock it off. Uh, yeah, I mean, Scott, we're in agreement that Mayor Garland was hey. way overstepped his bounds here. But uh, the response, the proper response is uh, to deal with that and not uh, not do the same thing back to the Democrats. Thank God Mayor Garland isn't <laughs> on the Supreme Court. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. I'm going to thank, give a shout-out to our Patreon supporters again, John Vestal, Brant Frost, Reed Powell, Sam Thomas, Benjamin Hurst, Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett. Thank you for supporting the Thanks, podcast. Guys. If you're listening right now, stop. Stop listening. Go over to patreon.com slash peachpundit. Sign up for one of those very small tiers and help us out. We would appreciate it. We uh, appreciate every one of our listeners, especially those Patreons. Yep. And uh, again, we will be using a new platform next week and uh, search for something that works better than what we have right now. So thank you again. We appreciate you, and we'll catch you Later, next Scott. week.